Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms audiobook. Essays on Early Ornithology and Kindred Subjects by James Roxburgh McClemont P. 3. Contents Marco Polo, had he confined himself to a sober narration of his travels, would have left to posterity a valuable record of the political institutions and national customs of the peoples of his day in the Far East. He was not satisfied with doing this, but added to his narrative a number of ondit more or less marvelous in character, which he collected from credulous or inventive persons with whom he came into contact, principally from mariners and from other travelers. Of these addenda to his story not one is more incredible than that of the rook, and yet that addendum may be regarded as indicating the transition from the utterly incredible to the admixture of truth with fiction in bird lore. For whilst the rook possessed some characteristics which are utterly fabulous, others are credible enough. We are told, for example, that it resembled an eagle, that it was carnivorous, that it possessed remarkable powers of flight, and that it visited islands which lay to the south of Zanzibar within the influence of an ocean current which rendered difficult or impossible a voyage from these regions to India, and which therefore must have tended in a southerly direction. In this current we have no difficulty in recognizing that of Mozambique. On the other hand, that the rook had an expanse of wing of thirty paces, and that it could lift an elephant in its talons, are of course utterly incredible assertions. The rook therefore holds a position in bird lore intermediate, P4 between that of the phoenix and that of the pelican fed upon the blood of its mother whose beak is tipped with red, or that of the barnacle goose, of which the name suggests the mollusk, the barnacle, and which was said to proceed from the mollusk, or that of the bird of paradise, the feet of which were cut off by the Malay traders who sold the skins, and which were commonly reported never to have had feet, but to float, perpetually in the air. P. 4. Thus two streams united into one floated the conception of the rook, a mythological stream taking its rise from the simmered of the Persians and a stream of fact taking its rise in the observation of a real bird which visited certain islands off the southeast coast of Africa, and which is said to have resembled an eagle and may have been a sea-eagle. With commendable reticence lexicographers tell us that rook was the name of a bird of mighty wing. P5. The penguins and the seals of the Ingrid de Sambras. P. 5. P. 7. Contents. P. 7. Contents. There exists an anonymous narrative of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama to India under the title Rotero de Viagem de Vasco da Gama and Mixcvi. Although it is called a Rotero, it is in fact a purely personal and popular account of the voyage, and does not contain either sailing directions or a systematic description of all the ports which were visited as one might expect in a Rotero. There is no reason to believe that it was written by Vasco da Gama. An officer in such high authority would not be likely to write his narrative anonymously. The faulty and variable orthography of the Rotero also renders improbable the hypothesis that Vasco da Gama was the author. The journal of the first voyage of Columbus contains many allusions to the birds which were seen in the course of it by the great discoverer. In this respect the Rotero of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama resembles it. The Journal of Columbus is the earliest record of an important voyage of discovery which recognizes natural history as an aid to navigators. The Rotero is the next. 
the author of the Rotero notes that birds resembling large herons were seen in the month of August, 1497, at which time, I opine, the vessels of da Gama were not far from the Gulf of Guinea, or were, perhaps, making their way across that gulf. P8. On the 27th of October, as the vessels approached the southwest coast of Africa, whales and seals were encountered, and also quoques. P. 8. Quoquas is the first example of the eccentric orthography of our author. Quoquas is, no doubt, his manner of writing conscious, that is to say shells, the till over the O is absent. Perhaps that is a typographical error. Probably the author wrote or intended to write quoques. These shells may have been those of Navlai. On the 8th of November the vessels under the command of Vasco da Gama cast anchor in a wide bay which extended from east to west and which was sheltered from all winds excepting that which blew from the northwest. It was subsequently estimated that this anchorage was sixty leagues distant from the Ingrid de Sambras, and as the Ingrid de Sambras was estimated to be sixty leagues distant from the Cape of Good Hope, the sheltered anchorage must have been in proximity to the Cape. The voyagers named it the Ingrid de Santa Elena, and it may have been the bay which is now known as St. Helens Bay. But it is worthy of note that the G., De Estia Elena of the Cantino chart is laid down in a position which corresponds rather with that of Table Bay than with that of St. Helens Bay. The Portuguese came into contact with the inhabitants of the country adjacent to the anchorage. These people had tawny complexions, and carried wooden spears tipped with horn, assegais of a kind, and bows and arrows. They also used foxes' tails attached to short wooden handles. We are not informed for what purposes the foxes' tails were used. Were they used to brush flies away, or were they insignia of authority? The food of the natives was the flesh of whales, seals, and p9, antelopes, gazellas, and the roots of certain plants. Crayfish or cape lobsters abounded near the anchorage. p. 9. The author of the Rotero affirms that the birds of the country resembled the birds in Portugal, and that amongst them were cormorants larks, turtle doves, and gulls. The gulls are called guevotas, but guevotas is probably another instance of the eccentric orthography of the author and equivalent to gavotas. In December the squadron reached the Ingrid de Sao Bras, which was either Mossel Bay or another bay in close proximity to Mossel Bay. Here penguins and seals were in great abundance. The author of the Rotero calls the penguins sotilicaros which is more correctly written sotilicarios by subsequent writers. The word is probably related to the Spanish sotil and the Latin subtilis, and may contain an allusion to the supposed cunning of the penguins, which disappear by diving when an enemy approaches. The sotilicarios, says the chronicler, could not fly because there were no quill feathers in their wings. In size they were as large as drakes, and their cry resembled the braying of an ass. Castanheda, goes, and Osorio also mentioned the Sotilicario in their accounts of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, and compare its flipper to the wing of a bat, a not wholly inept comparison, for the undersurface of the wings of penguins is wholly devoid of feathery covering. Manuel de Mesquita Perestrello, who visited the south coast of Africa in 1575, also describes the Cape Penguin. From a manuscript of his Rotero in the Oporto Library, one learns that the flippers of the sotilicario were covered with minute feathers, as indeed they are on the upper surface and that they dived after fish, upon which they fed, and on which they fed their young, which were hatched in nests, p. 10, constructed of fish bones. 
There is nothing to cavil at in these statements, unless it be that which asserts that the nests were constructed of fishbones, for this is not in accordance with the observations of contemporary naturalists, who tell us that the nests of the Cape penguin, Sphiniscus demersus, are constructed of stones, shells, and debris. It is, therefore, probable that the fishbones which Perestrello saw were the remains of repasts of seals. p. 10. Seals, says the Rotero, were in great number at the Ingrid de Salbras. On one occasion the number was counted and was found to be three thousand. Some were as large as bears and their roaring was as the roaring of lions. Others, which were very small, bleated like kids. These differences in size and in voice may be explained by differences in the age and in the sex of the seals, for seals of different species do not usually resort to the same locality. The seal which formerly frequented the south coast of Africa, for it is, I believe, no longer a denizen of that region, was that which is known to naturalists as Arctocephalus delalandii, and, as adult males sometimes attain eight and a half feet in length, it may well be described as of the size of a bear. Cubs from six to eight months of age measure about two feet and a half in length. The Portuguese caught anchovies in the bay, which they salted to serve as provisions on the voyage. They anchored a second time in the Ingra de Sao Bras in March, 1499, on their homeward voyage. Yet one more allusion to the penguins and seals of the Ingra, p. 11, de Sao Bras is of sufficient historical interest to be mentioned. The first Dutch expedition to Bantam weighed anchor on the 2nd of April, 1595, and on the 4th of August of the same year the vessels anchored in a harbor called Agusambras, in eight or nine fathoms of water, on a sandy bottom. So many of the sailors were sick with scurvy, thirty or thirty-three, says the narrator, in one ship, that it was necessary to find fresh fruit for them. In this bay, runs the English translation of the narrative, Leith a small island wherein are many birds called pinquins and sea wolves, that are taken with men's hands. In the original Dutch narrative by Willem Lodwickson, published in Amsterdam in 1597, the name of the birds appears as penguins. P. 11. P. 13. The Banda Islands and the Bandoned Birds. P. 13. Bandoned Birds. P. 15. Contents. P. 15. Contents. The islands of the Banda Sea, with the exception of Leti, Kisser, and Wetter, constitute the Sarum subgroup or the Moluccan group. The principal units are Buru, Amboina, Great Banda, Sarum, Sarum Lot, Goram, Kur, Babar, and Dama. The Madbela Islands, the Tiandu Islands, the Ka Islands, and the Tenimber Islands also belong to the Sarum subgroup. We are only concerned with the Banda Islands, which are eight in number and consists of four central islands in close proximity to one another, enclosing a little inland sea, and four outlying islets. The central islands are Lanthwire, or Great Banda, Banda Nera, Gonong Api, which is an active volcano, and Pisang. The remaining Banda islands are Rosengain, which lies about ten miles distant to the southeast of Great Banda, Y, at an equal distance to the west, Run, about eight miles west by south from Y, and Swanji or Mankan, about 17 miles north by east from Run. The Banda Islands are well known as the principal center of the cultivation of the nutmeg. When the Dutch East India Company became the possessors of the islands in the beginning of the 17th century, they destroyed the nutmeg trees in all the islands under their jurisdiction, 
with the exception of those in Amboina and the Banda Islands. By doing so they hope to maintain the high value of these natural products. The Banda Islands may have been visited by Varthema, p. 16, but our first reliable account of them connects the discovery of them with an expedition dispatched by order of Alfonso de Albuquerque from Malacca. Shortly after Albuquerque had defeated the Malays and taken possession of that city, he sent three vessels, under the command of Antonio de Abreu, to explore the archipelago and to inaugurate a trade with the islanders. A junk, commanded by a native merchant captain, Ismail by name, preceded the other vessels for the purpose of announcing their approaching advent to the traders of the archipelago, so that they might have their spices ready for shipment. With the Abreu went Francisco Serio and Sameo Afonso, in command of two of the vessels. The pilots were Luis Badem, Goncalo de Oliveira, and Francisco Rodriguez or Ruiz. Abreu left Malacca in November, 1511, at which season the westerly monsoon begins to blow. He steered a southeasterly course, passed through the Strait of Sabong, and having arrived at the coast of Java, he cast anchor at Agakai, which Valentin identifies with Gresik, near Surabaya. At Agakai, Javan pilots were engaged for the voyage thence to the Banda Islands. Banda was, however, not the first port of call. The course was first to Buru, and thence to Amboina. Galvio relates that Abru landed at Guli Guli, which is in Serum. Barros, however, in his account of the voyage, makes no mention of Serum. At Amboina the ship commanded by Francisco Serio, an Indian vessel which had been captured at Goa, was burnt, for, says Barros, she was old, and the ship's company was divided between the two other ships, which then proceeded to Litado, which is perhaps identical with Ortatan, a trading station on the north coast of Great Banda. Here a brew obtained a cargo of nutmegs and mace and of cloves, which had been brought hither from the Moluccas. At Latato a brew erected a pillar in token of annexation to the, p. 17, dominions of the king of Portugal. He had done this at Agacay and in Amboina also. p. 16. p. 17. The return voyage to Malacca was marked by disaster. A junk, which now was bought to replace the Indian vessel, was wrecked, and the crew, who had taken refuge on a small island, was attacked by pirates. The pirates, however, were worsted and their craft was captured. Serial, who had been in command of the junk, sailed in the pirate vessel to Amboina, and thence eventually reached Ternate, where he remained at the invitation of Boliaif, the sultan of that island. The junk, of which Ismail was the skipper, was also wrecked near Tuban, but the cargo, consisting of cloves, was recovered in 1513 from the Javans, who had taken possession of it. Zoologically the Banda Islands lie within Wallace's Australian region, and their avifauna has a great affinity with that of Australia. Wallace visited these islands in December 1857, May 1859, and April 1861, and collected eight species of birds, namely, Ripidura squamata, a fantailed flycatcher, Pachycephala fionoda, a thickhead, Mysomela boye, a small scarlet-headed honeyeater, Zosterops chloris, a white-eye, Pitta vigorsi, one of the brightly colored ground thrushes of the Malayan region, Halcyon chloris, a kingfisher with a somewhat extensive range, Tilipus santhagaster, a fruit-eating pigeon, and the nutmeg. Pigeon, Carpophaga concina. The islands were visited by the members of the Challenger Expedition in September and October, 1874, 
but the only additional species then obtained was Monarcha cineracens, also a flycatcher. These birds may be regarded as the resident birds of the Banda Islands, but there are others which are occasional visitants or migrants. Indeed, in seas so full of islands, it is inevitable that wanderers from other islands should occasionally visit the group. P18. To those which I have already mentioned there may therefore be added, as of less frequency, the accipitrine bird, Asterpolionotus, the hoary-backed goshawk, the passers idolius medispar, a caterpillar shrike, the skin of a male of which from Great Banda is in the Leiden Museum, and Motacilla melanope, the grey wagtail. Of Picarian birds there have been found Cuculus intermedius, the oriental cuckoo, Eudonomys cyanocephalus subspecies Everetti, a small form of the coel, and Eurystemus australis, the Australian roller. Joao de Barros, in his Asia, mentions the parrots of the Banda Islands, and we find accordingly that one of the cetaceae is recorded from Banda in modern times, namely, Eos rubra, a red, or rather a crimson lorry. The ornithologist Muller saw many of these birds in Great Banda, on the cannery trees. Additional pigeons are the seed-eating Calcophaps chrysochlora and the fruit-eating Tylonopus wallacei, and finally there is one gallinaceous bird which is probably resident, but the shy and retiring habits of which have enabled it to escape observation until recently. This is a scrub fowl, Megapodius duperi. P. 18. P. 19. The etymology of the name emu. P. 19. P. 21. Contents. P. 21. Contents. The name emu has an interesting history. It occurs in the forms emia and emin purchases pilgrimage, in 1613. In Banda and other islands, says Purchase, the bird called Emia or Eme is admirable. We should probably pronounce Eme in two syllables, as Eme. This Eme or Emia was doubtless a cassowary, probably that of Sarum. The idea that it was a native of the Banda group appears to have existed in some quarters at the beginning of the 17th century, but the idea was assuredly an erroneous one. So large a struthius bird as the cassowary requires more extensive feeding grounds and greater seclusion than was to be found in any island of the Banda group, and, as at the present day so in the past, Sarum was the true home of the Malayan cassowary, which found and which finds in the extensive forests of that island the home adapted to its requirements. It is, however, equally certain that at an early date the Sarum cassowary was imported into Amboina and probably into Banda also and we know of an early instance of its being introduced into Java, and from Java into Europe. When the first Dutch expedition to Java had reached that island, and when the vessels of which it was composed were lying at anchor off Sindaya, some Javans brought a cassowary on board Schellinger's ship as a gift, saying that the bird was a rare one and that it swallowed fire. At least, so they were understood to say, but that they really did say so is somewhat doubtful. P. 22. However, the sailors put the matter to the test by administering to the bird a dose of hollands. Perhaps the hollands was ignited and administered in the form of liquid fire, but it is not expressly stated that this was the case. This cassowary was brought alive to Amsterdam in 1597 and was presented to the estates of Holland at The Hague. A figure of it, under the name Eme, appears in the 4th and 5th German editions of the account of this voyage of the Dutch to Java, by Hulsius, published at Frankfurt in 1606 and 1625, the figure is a fairly accurate representation of an immature cassowary. p. 22. 
Whence comes, let us ask, the name meme and the later form, emu. The new historical English dictionary suggests a derivation from a Portuguese word, emma, signifying a crane. But no authority is quoted to prove that emma signifies, or ever signified, crane. On the other hand, various Portuguese dictionaries which have been consulted render emma by cas or, or state that the name emma is applicable to several birds, of which the crane is not one. Pero de Magalhães de Gandeville, in his Historia de Provincia Sancta Cruz, published in 1576, uses the name Hema in writing of the Ria or Nandu. It is worthy of note that the Arabic name of the cassowary is Nima, and that there were many Arab traders in the Malayan archipelago at the time when the Portuguese first navigated it. The Portuguese strangely distorted Malay and Arabic names, and it would not be surprising if they reproduced Nima as Uma Emma. P. 23. Australian Birds in 1697. P. 23. In 1697. P. 25. Contents. P. 25. Contents. In 1696 the honorable directors of the Dutch chartered company trading to the Dutch East Indies decided to send an expedition for the purpose of searching for missing vessels, especially for the Rittershap Van Holland, of which no news had been received for two years. The local board of directors of the Amsterdam Chamber of the Company was charged to carry out this resolution, and it equipped three vessels which were placed under the command of Willem de Vlaeming. The commander was directed to search for missing vessels or for shipwrecked sailors at the Tristan de Cunha Islands, the Cape of Good Hope, and the islands of Amsterdam and St. Paul in the Southern Ocean. Thence he was to proceed to the Ambaken Zudland, by which name, or by that of Eendracht's land, Australia was designated in whole or in part in the official dispatches of the Dutch East India Company in the 17th century. On the 29th of December, 1696, the vessels under the command of de Vlaming lay at anchor between Rottnest Island and the mainland of Australia. The island was searched for wreckage with little result. One piece of timber was found which, it was conjectured, might have been deck timber, and a plank was found, three feet long and one span broad. The nails in the wreckage were very rusty. The search for shipwrecked sailors on the adjacent mainland was unsuccessful. On the 20th and on the 31st of December, and on the 1st of January, 1697, p. 26, de Vlaming notes in his journal that odoriferous wood was found on the mainland. Portions of it were subsequently submitted to the Council of the Dutch East Indies at Batavia, and from these portions an essential oil was obtained by distillation. It may well be supposed that this experiment was the first in the manufacture of eucalyptus oil, which, however, in our day is obtained not from the wood but from the leaves of the tree. On the 13th of January de Vlaming records that a dark resinous gum resembling lac was seen exuding from trees. p. 26. In a narrative of the voyage published under the title journal Wegens in Voyage Nahet Ambiken Zudland, we read that on the 11th of January nine or ten black swans were seen. In a letter from Willem van Oudhorn, Governor-General of the Dutch East Indies, to the managers of the East India Company at the Amsterdam Chamber, it is stated that three black swans were brought alive to Batavia, but died soon after their arrival. Several boat expeditions were made, and Swan River was entered and ascended. During these expeditions the author of the journal mentions that the song of the Nactagil was heard. There are no nightingales in Australia, 
but the bird to which the writer of the journal alludes may have been the long-billed reed warbler, the Australian representative of the sedge warbler, and a denizen of the reed beds of the Swan River. Two species of geese are also mentioned by the same writer under the names of European geese. It is somewhat difficult to determine to which geese the author of the journal alludes under the names Kropkins and Rotgans. When English-speaking Dutch are asked to translate Kropkins, they do so by Christmas goose or fat goose. P27, dictionaries are silent respecting Kropkins, or render it by pelican. I am inclined to think that this rendering arises from a confusion between Kropkins and the German word Kropfkins, and that Kropkins was formerly applied to domestic geese in general which were being fed for the market, and also, as in the present instance, to the wild goose from which they were derived, namely to the grey lag goose. Answer Ferris. If this be so, the Australian bird with which the Kropkins is compared in the journal may be the Cape Barren Goose, Cereopsis novi Hollandi, which is found sparingly in Western Australia. The Rod Gans is the Brent Goose, Branta bernicla, and the Australian bird which most resembles it is the Musk Duck, Bizura lobata, which also is found in the west of Australia, although more sparingly there than in the south of the island continent. P. 27. Other birds which were seen at the same part of the Australian coast were dikers, by which name cormorants are probably designated, cockatoos and parakeets. It is said that all the birds were shy and flew away at the approach of human beings. No aborigines were seen, although smoke was visible. On the 15th of January de Vlaming quitted the anchorage near Rottenest Island, and followed the coast until 30 degrees 17 s. Lat. Was reached. Two boats were there sent to the shore and soundings were taken. The country near the landing place was sandy and treeless, and neither human beings nor fresh water were to be seen. But footmarks resembling those of a dog were seen, and also a bird which the journal calls a cassuaris, and which must have been one of the emus. On the 30th of January, 26 degrees 8 s, lat, was observed, which is, p28, approximately that of false entrance. On the 1st of February the pilot of the Geovink left the ships in one of the Geovink's boats in order to ascertain the position of Dirk Hartog's anchorage, and the captains of two of the vessels made an excursion for a distance of six or seven miles inland. They returned to the ships on the following day, bringing with them the head of a large bird, and they imparted the information that they had seen two huge nests built of branches. P. 28. The pilot of the Geovink returned to the ship on the 3rd of February, and reported that he had passed through a channel, probably that which is now known as South Passage, and had followed the coast of Dirk Hartog's island until he reached the northern extremity of the island. There, upon an acclivity, a tin plate was found on the ground. Certain words scratched upon the metal indicated that the ship Eendracht, of Amsterdam, of which Dirk Hartog was master, had anchored off the island on the 25th of October, 1616, and had departed for Bantam on the 27th day of the same month. The pilot brought the metal plate, a flattened tin dish, with him, and also two turtles which had been caught on the island. The squadron anchored in Dirk Hartog's reed on the 4th of February, and remained there until the 12th day of that month. The anonymous author of the journal relates that on the 6th of February many turtles were seen, and also a very large nest at the corner of a rock. The nest resembled that of a stork, but was probably that of an osprey, which places its nest on a rock, often on a rock surrounded by water.
De Vlaming quitted the Australian coast at 21 degrees south, lat, and proceeded to Batavia, where he arrived on the 20th of March, 1697. P. 29, New Zealand birds in 1772. P. 29, in 1772. P. 31, contents. P. 31, contents. Nicholas Thomas Marion Dufresne was an officer in the French Navy and was born at St. Malo in 1729. In 1771 he was commissioned at his own desire to restore to the island of his birth a Tahitian who had accompanied Bougainville to France. He was also charged to ascertain if a continent or islands existed in the southern ocean whence useful products might be exported to Mauritius or Reunion. The middle of the 18th century is approximately the period in which the collection and classification of exotic plants and animals became one of the chief objects of exploratory voyages. This was also one of the aims of the expedition under the command of Marion and Commerson, a botanist who had accompanied de Bougainville, was to have accompanied Marion also. But he was unable to go, so that no botanist and also no zoologist made the voyage. Crozet, however, who was second in command of the Mascarin, has left not a few observations relating to the birds which he saw at sea during the voyage, or in the countries which he visited. They are embodied in his book Nouveau Voyage à la Mer du Sud. The native of Tahiti fell sick shortly after the commencement of the voyage, and was put ashore in Madagascar, where he died. One of the objects of the voyage thus ceased to exist. The first undiscovered land which was sighted after leaving Madagascar was named Terra d'Esperance, and subsequently, by Cook, Prince, P. 32, Edward Island. Near it a collision with the Mascarin caused the partial disablement of the Marquis de Castries. The search for a southern continent was therefore abandoned, and it was resolved to visit the countries which had been discovered by Tasman in the 17th century. p. 32. Crozet's first observation relating to seabirds was made on the 8th of January, 1772, about twelve days after leaving the Cape of Good Hope. Turns were then in view, and thereafter— until the 13th of that month, terns and gulls were frequently seen. Shortly after the latter date Du Klesmer, who was in command of the Marquis de Castries, sighted another island which was named Al de la Prize de Possession, and which has been renamed Marion Island. Crozet landed upon it, and relates that the seabirds which were nesting upon it continued to sit on their eggs or to feed their young regardless of his presence. There were amongst the birds penguins, Cape petrels, damiers, and cormorants. Crozet also mentions divers, plongeons. It is doubtful to what birds he alludes under this name, a name which is usually applied to the Calimbidae, a family which has no representative in the seas of the southern hemisphere. The terns which Crozet saw were probably of the species Sternavitata, which breeds on the islands of St. Paul and Amsterdam. It also frequents the Tristan de Cunha group, and Gough Island and Kerguelen Island, so that it enjoys a wide distribution in the Southern Ocean. The gulls may have been Dominican gulls, Larus Dominicanus, which are to be found at a considerable distance from any continental land. The penguins which frequent the seas adjacent to the islands which Marion named Al de la Caverne, Isles Freuds, and Alaride are Aptenidites patagonica, Pygacillus papua, Cataracts chrysocom, and Cataracts chrysolophus. The eggs of the last named penguin have, P. 33, been found on the Alaride, which is now known as Crozet Island, and the whole group as the Crozet Islands. 
The Cape Petrel, Dapsham Capensis, nests on Tristan de Cunha and Kerguelen Island. A cormorant, Phallocrocorax variacosus, inhabits Kerguelen Island, but its occurrence on the Crozet Islands is doubtful. Finally, Crozet saw on the island on which he landed a white bird, which he mistook for a white pigeon, and argues that a country producing seeds for the nurture of pigeons must exist in the vicinity. This bird was probably the sheath bill, Chionarchus crozetensis, of the Crozet Islands. p. 33. The next land visited was Tasmania, where the vessels cast anchor on the east side of the island. Like their Dutch predecessors, the French mariners bestowed the names of European birds upon the birds which they saw in these new lands, and it would be an idle task to seek the equivalents of the ouzels, thrushes, and turtle doves which Crozet saw in Tasmania. There can be no doubt, however, about his pelicans, for Pelicanus conspicillatus still nests on the east coast of the island or on islets adjacent to the coast. The duration of Crozet's sojourn in New Zealand was about four months in the autumn and winter of 1772. The vessels anchored in the Bay of Islands. Crozet has given a long enumeration of the birds which he saw in New Zealand. We will not seek to find what his wheatears and wagtails, starlings and larks, Wuzzles and thrushes may have been, but we may make an exception in favor of his black thrushes with white tufts, grives noirsa hops blanches. These birds were evidently tays, prosta madura novizialandi. Crozet distributes the birds which he saw in New Zealand under foreheads, as birds of the forest, of the lakes, of the open country, and of the seacoast. In the forests were wood pigeons, p. 34, as large as fowls, and bright blue in color, no doubt the one pigeon of New Zealand, Hemifiga Zealandi, is alluded to in this description. Two parrots are mentioned, one of which was very large and black or dusky in color diversified with red and blue, and the other was a small lorry, which resembled the lorries in the island of Gola. It was no doubt a cyanoramphus, a genus of which there are in New Zealand more than one species. The large parrot may be the caca, although there is no blue in the plumage of the caca. Nestor meridionalis. There is blue under the wing of the kia, but the kia, Nestor notabilis, is not a bird of the north, but of the south island. p. 34. In the open country were the passerine birds, which Crozet mentions by the names of European birds, and also a quail, Coternix novizialandi, which has lately become extinct. On the lakes were ducks and teals in abundance, and a pool bluey, similar to the pools blueys of Madagascar, India, and China. The pool bluey was doubtless the swamp hen or purple gallineal which, because of its rich purple plumage and red feet, is a conspicuous object in New Zealand landscapes. The species which inhabits New Zealand, Tasmania, and eastern Australia is Porphyrio melanotus. On the sea coast were cormorants, curlews, and black and white egrets. The curlews, which pass the summer in New Zealand and the remainder of the year in islands of the Pacific Ocean, are of the species Nemenius cyanopus. They leave New Zealand in autumn, with the exception of a few individuals which remain in favored localities. The egrets blanches eighteen noirs were perhaps reef herons, the black bird of the form of an oyster catcher, and possessing a red bill and red feet, was doubtless the sooty oyster catcher, Hematopus unicolor, which, p. 35, in Tasmania is known as the redbill. Terns and gannets were amongst the birds of the coastal waters. Of New Zealand terns, Sterna frontalis and S. 
Nereus are the species which are seen most frequently. The Golette Blanche may have been Gigis Candida. The Gannets may have been Manches de Valeur, the name by which French mariners knew the mast gannet, Sula Cyanops. The body of this gannet is white, the wings are rich chocolate brown. It is a bird of the tropical and subtropical seas of the world, and its appearance in New Zealand waters is infrequent. p. 35. From New Zealand the two vessels, now under the command of Duclesmer, sailed for Guam and thence to the Philippine Islands, but as Crozet's observations on the birds which he saw after he quitted New Zealand are of little importance, we will follow him no further. London, printed by Strangeways and Sons, Tower Street Cambridge Circus, W.C. Strangeways and Sons. Essays on Early Ornithology and Kindred Subjects. By James Roxburgh McClemont. P. 3. Contents. Marco Polo, had he confined himself to a sober narration of his travels, would have left to posterity a valuable record of the political institutions and national customs of the peoples of his day in the Far East. He was not satisfied with doing this, but added to his narrative a number of andit more or less marvelous in character, which he collected from credulous or inventive persons with whom he came into contact, principally from mariners and from other travelers. Of these addenda to his story not one is more incredible than that of the rook, and yet that addendum may be regarded as indicating the transition from the utterly incredible to the admixture of truth with fiction in bird lore. For whilst the rook possessed some characteristics which are utterly fabulous, others are credible enough. We are told, for example, that it resembled an eagle, that it was carnivorous, that it possessed remarkable powers of flight, and that it visited islands which lay to the south of Zanzibar within the influence of an ocean current which rendered difficult or impossible a voyage from these regions to India, and which therefore must have tended in a southerly direction. In this current we have no difficulty in recognizing that of Mozambique. On the other hand, that the rook had an expanse of wing of thirty paces, and that it could lift an elephant in its talons, are of course utterly incredible assertions. The rook therefore holds a position in bird lore intermediate, p4 between that of the phoenix and that of the pelican fed upon the blood of its mother whose beak is tipped with red, or that of the barnacle goose, of which the name suggests the mollusk, the barnacle, and which was said to proceed from the mollusk or that of the bird of paradise, the feet of which were cut off by the Malay traders who sold the skins, and which were commonly reported never to have had feet, but to float, perpetually in the air. P. 4. Thus two streams united into one floated the conception of the rook, a mythological stream taking its rise from the simmered of the Persians and a stream of fact taking its rise in the observation of a real bird which visited certain islands off the southeast coast of Africa, and which is said to have resembled an eagle and may have been a sea-eagle. With commendable reticence lexicographers tell us that rook was the name of a bird of mighty wing. P. 5. The penguins and the seals of the Ingrid de Sam Bras. P. 5. P7 Contents. P. 7. Contents. There exists an anonymous narrative of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama to India under the title Rotero de Viagem de Vasco da Gama and Mixcvi. Although it is called a Rotero, it is in fact a purely personal and popular account of the voyage, and does not contain either sailing directions or a systematic description of all the ports which were visited as one might expect in a Rotero. 
there is no reason to believe that it was written by Vasco da Gama. An officer in such high authority would not be likely to write his narrative anonymously. The faulty and variable orthography of the Rotero also renders improbable the hypothesis that Vasco da Gama was the author. The journal of the first voyage of Columbus contains many allusions to the birds which were seen in the course of it by the great discoverer. In this respect the Rotero of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama resembles it. The Journal of Columbus is the earliest record of an important voyage of discovery which recognizes natural history as an aid to navigators. The Rotero is the next. The author of the Rotero notes that birds resembling large herons were seen in the month of August, 1497, at which time, I opine, the vessels of da Gama were not far from the Gulf of Guinea, or were, perhaps, making their way across that gulf. P8. On the 27th of October. As the vessels approached the southwest coast of Africa, whales and seals were encountered, and also quoques. p. 8. Quoques is the first example of the eccentric orthography of our author. Quoques is, no doubt, his manner of writing conscious, that is to say shells, the till over the o is absent. Perhaps that is a typographical error. Probably the author wrote or intended to write quoques. These shells may have been those of Navlai. On the 8th of November the vessels under the command of Vasco da Gama cast anchor in a wide bay which extended from east to west, and which was sheltered from all winds excepting that which blew from the northwest. It was subsequently estimated that this anchorage was sixty leagues distant from the Ingrid de Sambras, and as the Ingrid de Sambras was estimated to be sixty leagues distant from the Cape of Good Hope, the sheltered anchorage must have been in proximity to the Cape. The voyagers named it the Ingrid de Santa Elena and it may have been the bay which is now known as St. Helens Bay. But it is worthy of note that the G. de St. Elena of the Cantino chart is laid down in a position which corresponds rather with that of Table Bay than with that of St. Helens Bay. The Portuguese came into contact with the inhabitants of the country adjacent to the anchorage. These people had tawny complexions, and carried wooden spears tipped with horn, assegais of a kind, and bows and arrows. They also used foxes' tails attached to short wooden handles. We are not informed for what purposes the foxes' tails were used. Were they used to brush flies away, or were they insignia of authority? The food of the natives was the flesh of whales, seals, and p9, antelopes, gazellas, and the roots of certain plants. Crayfish or cape lobsters abounded near the anchorage. p. 9. The author of the Rotero affirms that the birds of the country resembled the birds in Portugal, and that amongst them were cormorants, larks, turtle doves, and gulls. The gulls are called guevotas, but guevotas is probably another instance of the eccentric orthography of the author and equivalent to guevotas. In December the squadron reached the Ingrid de Sao Bras, which was either Mossel Bay or another bay in close proximity to Mossel Bay. Here penguins and seals were in great abundance. The author of the Rotero calls the penguins sotilicaros, which is more correctly written sotilicarios by subsequent writers. The word is probably related to the Spanish sotil and the Latin subtilis, and may contain an allusion to the supposed cunning of the penguins, which disappear by diving when an enemy approaches. The sotilicarios, says the chronicler, could not fly because there were no quill feathers in their wings. In size they were as large as drakes and their cry resembled the braying of an ass. Castanheda, Goes, 
and Osorio also mention the Sotilicario in their accounts of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, and compare its flipper to the wing of a bat, a not wholly inept comparison, for the undersurface of the wings of penguins is wholly devoid of feathery covering. Manuel de Mesquita Perestrello, who visited the south coast of Africa in 1575, also describes the Cape Penguin. From a manuscript of his Rotero in the Oporto Library, one learns that the flippers of the Sotilicario were covered with minute feathers, as indeed they are on the upper surface and that they dived after fish, upon which they fed, and on which they fed their young, which were hatched in nests, p. 10, constructed of fish bones. There is nothing to cavil at in these statements, unless it be that which asserts that the nests were constructed of fish bones, for this is not in accordance with the observations of contemporary naturalists, who tell us that the nests of the Cape penguin, Sphiniscus demersus, are constructed of stones, shells, and debris. It is, therefore, probable that the fish bones which Perestrello saw were the remains of repasts of seals. p. 10. Seals, says the Rotero, were in great number at the Ingrid de Sal Bras. On one occasion the number was counted and was found to be three thousand. Some were as large as bears and their roaring was as the roaring of lions. Others, which were very small, bleated like kids. These differences in size and in voice may be explained by differences in the age and in the sex of the seals, for seals of different species do not usually resort to the same locality. The seal which formerly frequented the south coast of Africa, for it is, I believe, no longer a denizen of that region, was that which is known to naturalists as Arctocephalus delalandii, and, as adult males sometimes attain eight and a half feet in length, it may well be described as of the size of a bear. Cubs from six to eight months of age measure about two feet and a half in length. The Portuguese caught anchovies in the bay, which they salted to serve as provisions on the voyage. They anchored a second time in the Ingra de Sao Bras in March, 1499, on their homeward voyage. Yet one more allusion to the penguins and seals of the Ingra, p. 11, de Sao Bras is of sufficient historical interest to be mentioned. The first Dutch expedition to Bantam weighed anchor on the 2nd of April, 1595, and on the 4th of August of the same year the vessels anchored in a harbor called Agusambras, in eight or nine fathoms of water, on a sandy bottom. So many of the sailors were sick with scurvy, thirty or thirty-three, says the narrator, in one ship, that it was necessary to find fresh fruit for them. In this bay, runs the English translation of the narrative, Leith a small island wherein are many birds called penguins and sea wolves, that are taken with men's hands. In the original Dutch narrative by Willem Lodwickson, published in Amsterdam in 1597, the name of the birds appears as penguins. p. 11. p. 13. The Banda Islands and the Bandon Birds. p. 13. Bandon Birds. p. 15. Contents. p. 15. Contents. The islands of the Banda Sea, with the exception of Leti, Kisser, and Wetter, constitute the Sarum subgroup or the Moluccan group. The principal units are Buru, Amboina, Great Banda, Sarum, Sarum Lot, Goram, Kur, Babar, and Dama. The Madbella Islands, the Tiandu Islands, the Ka Islands, and the Tenimber Islands also belong to the Sarum subgroup. We are only concerned with the Banda Islands, which are eight in number and consist of four central islands in close proximity to one another, enclosing the little inland sea, and four outlying islets. 
The central islands are Lantwire, or Great Banda, Banda Nera, Gonong Api, which is an active volcano, and Pisang. The remaining Banda islands are Rosengain, which lies about 10 miles distant to the southeast of Great Banda, Y, at an equal distance to the west, Run, about 8 miles west by south from Y, and Swanji or Mankan, about 17 miles north by east from Run. The Banda Islands are well known as the principal center of the cultivation of the nutmeg. When the Dutch East India Company became the possessors of the islands in the beginning of the 17th century, they destroyed the nutmeg trees in all the islands under their jurisdiction, with the exception of those in Amboina and the Banda Islands. By doing so they hoped to maintain the high value of these natural products. The Banda Islands may have been visited by Varthema, p. 16, but our first reliable account of them connects the discovery of them with an expedition dispatched by order of Alfonso de Albuquerque from Malacca. Shortly after Albuquerque had defeated the Malays and taken possession of that city, he sent three vessels, under the command of Antonio de Abreu, to explore the archipelago and to inaugurate a trade with the islanders. A junk, commanded by a native merchant captain, Ismail by name, preceded the other vessels for the purpose of announcing their approaching advent to the traders of the archipelago, so that they might have their spices ready for shipment. With the Abreu went Francisco Serio and Sameo Afonso, in command of two of the vessels. The pilots were Luis Badem, Goncalo de Oliveira, and Francisco Rodriguez or Ruiz. Abreu left Malacca in November, 1511, at which season the westerly monsoon begins to blow. He steered a southeasterly course, passed through the Strait of Sabong, and having arrived at the coast of Java, he cast anchor at Agakai, which Valentin identifies with Gresik, near Surabaya. At Agakai, Javan pilots were engaged for the voyage thence to the Banda Islands. Banda was, however, not the first port of call. The course was first to Buru, and thence to Amboina. Galvio relates that Abru landed at Guli Guli, which is in Serum. Baros, however, in his account of the voyage, makes no mention of Sarum. At Amboina the ship commanded by Francisco Serio, an Indian vessel which had been captured at Goa, was burnt, for, says Baros, she was old, and the ship's company was divided between the two other ships, which then proceeded to Litado, which is perhaps identical with Ortatan, a trading station on the north coast of Great Banda. Here Abru obtained a cargo of nutmegs and mace and of cloves, which had been brought hither from the Moluccas. At Latato Abru erected a pillar in token of annexation to the, p. 17, dominions of the king of Portugal. He had done this at Agacay and in Amboina also. p. 16. p. 17. The return voyage to Malacca was marked by disaster. A junk, which now was bought to replace the Indian vessel, was wrecked, and the crew, who had taken refuge on a small island, was attacked by pirates. The pirates, however, were worsted and their craft was captured. Serio, who had been in command of the junk, sailed in the pirate vessel to Amboina, and thence eventually reached Ternate, where he remained at the invitation of Boliaif, the sultan of that island. The junk, of which Ismail was the skipper, was also wrecked near Tuban, but the cargo, consisting of cloves, was recovered in 1513 from the Javans, who had taken possession of it. Zoologically the Banda Islands lie within Wallace's Australian region, and their avifauna has a great affinity with that of Australia. Wallace visited these islands in December 1857, 
May 1859, and April 1861, and collected eight species of birds, namely, Ripidura squamata, a fantailed flycatcher, Pachycephala fionoda, a thickhead, Mysomela boyer, a small scarlet-headed honeyeater, Zosterops chloris, a white-eye, Pitta vigorsi, one of the brightly colored ground thrushes of the Malayan region, Halcyon chloris, a kingfisher with a somewhat extensive range, Tilipus xanthogaster, a fruit-eating pigeon, and the nutmeg, pigeon, Carpophaga concina. The islands were visited by the members of the Challenger Expedition in September and October, 1874, but the only additional species then obtained was Monarcha cinerascens, also a flycatcher. These birds may be regarded as the resident birds of the Banda Islands, but there are others which are occasional visitants or migrants. Indeed, in seas so full of islands, it is inevitable that wanderers from other islands should occasionally visit the group. P18. To those which I have already mentioned there may therefore be added, as of less frequency, the accipitrine bird, Asterpolionotus, the hoary-backed goshawk, the passers idolius medispar, a caterpillar shrike, the skin of a male of which from Great Banda is in the Leiden Museum, and Motacilla melanope, the grey wagtail. Of Picarian birds there have been found Cuculus intermedius, the oriental cuckoo, Eudonami cyanocephalus subspecies Everetti, a small form of the coal, and Eurystemus australis, the Australian roller. Joao de Barros, in his Asia, mentions the parrots of the Banda Islands, and we find accordingly that one of the cetaci is recorded from Banda in modern times, namely, Eos rubra, a red, or rather a crimson lorry. The ornithologist Muller saw many of these birds in Great Banda, on the cannery trees. Additional pigeons are the seed-eating Calcophaps chrysochlora and the fruit-eating Tylonopus wallacei, and finally there is one gallinaceous bird which is probably resident, but the shy and retiring habits of which have enabled it to escape observation until recently. This is a scrub fowl, Megapodius duperi. P. 18. P. 19. The etymology of the name emu. P. 19. P. 21. Contents. P. 21. Contents. The name emu has an interesting history. It occurs in the forms emia and emin Purchase's pilgrimage, in 1613. In Banda and other islands, says Purchase, the bird called emia or em is admirable. We should probably pronounce em in two syllables, as emi. This em or emia was doubtless a cassowary, probably that of Sarum. The idea that it was a native of the Banda group appears to have existed in some quarters at the beginning of the 17th century but the idea was assuredly an erroneous one. So large a struthius bird as the cassowary requires more extensive feeding grounds and greater seclusion than was to be found in any island of the Banda group, and, as at the present day so in the past, Sarum was the true home of the Malayan cassowary, which found and which finds in the extensive forests of that island the home adapted to its requirements. It is, however, equally certain that at an early date the Sarum cassowary was imported into Amboina and probably into Banda also, and we know of an early instance of its being introduced into Java, and from Java into Europe. When the first Dutch expedition to Java had reached that island, and when the vessels of which it was composed were lying at anchor off Sindaya, some Javans brought a cassowary on board Challenger's ship as a gift, saying that the bird was a rare one and that it swallowed fire. At least, so they were understood to say, but that they really did say so is somewhat doubtful. P22, 
However, the sailors put the matter to the test by administering to the bird a dose of Hollands. Perhaps the Hollands was ignited and administered in the form of liquid fire, but it is not expressly stated that this was the case. This cassowary was brought alive to Amsterdam in 1597 and was presented to the estates of Holland at The Hague. A figure of it, under the name Eme, appears in the 4th and 5th German editions of the account of this voyage of the Dutch to Java, by Hulsius, published at Frankfurt in 1606 and 1625. The figure is a fairly accurate representation of an immature cassowary. p. 22. Whence comes, let us ask, the name Eme and the later form, Emu. The new historical English dictionary suggests a derivation from a Portuguese word, Emma, signifying a crane. But no authority is quoted to prove that Emma signifies, or ever signified, crane. On the other hand, various Portuguese dictionaries which have been consulted render Emma by Cass or, or state that the name Emma is applicable to several birds, of which the crane is not one. Pero de Magalhães de Gandavo, in his Historia de Provincia Sancta Cruz, published in 1576, uses the name Hema in writing of the Ria or Nandu. It is worthy of note that the Arabic name of the cassowary is Nima, and that there were many Arab traders in the Malayan archipelago at the time when the Portuguese first navigated it. The Portuguese strangely distorted Malay and Arabic names, and it would not be surprising if they reproduced Nima as Uma Emma. P23, Australian Birds in 1697. P. 23. In 1697. P. 25. Contents. P. 25. Contents. In 1696 the honorable directors of the Dutch Chartered Company trading to the Dutch East Indies decided to send an expedition for the purpose of searching for missing vessels, especially for the Riddershap Van Holland, of which no news had been received for two years. The local board of directors of the Amsterdam Chamber of the Company was charged to carry out this resolution, and it equipped three vessels which were placed under the command of Willem de Vlaeming. The commander was directed to search for missing vessels or for shipwrecked sailors at the Tristan de Cunha Islands, the Cape of Good Hope, and the islands of Amsterdam and St. Paul in the Southern Ocean. Thence he was to proceed to the Ambaken Zudland, by which name, or by that of Eendracht's Land, Australia was designated in whole or in part in the official dispatches of the Dutch East India Company in the 17th century. On the 29th of December, 1696, the vessels under the command of de Vlaeming lay at anchor between Rottnest Island and the mainland of Australia. The island was searched for wreckage with little result. One piece of timber was found which, it was conjectured, might have been deck timber, and a plank was found, three feet long and one span broad. The nails in the wreckage were very rusty. The search for shipwreck sailors on the adjacent mainland was unsuccessful. On the 20th and on the 31st of December, and on the 1st of January, 1697, p. 26, de Vlaeming notes in his journal that odoriferous wood was found on the mainland. Portions of it were subsequently submitted to the Council of the Dutch East Indies at Batavia, and from these portions an essential oil was obtained by distillation. It may well be supposed that this experiment was the first in the manufacture of eucalyptus oil, which, however, in our day is obtained not from the wood but from the leaves of the tree. On the 13th of January de Vlaeming records that a dark resinous gum resembling lac was seen exuding from trees. p. 26. 
In a narrative of the voyage published under the title journal Wegens in Voyage na het Ambeken Zudland, we read that on the 11th of January nine or ten black swans were seen. In a letter from Willem van Oudhorn, Governor-General of the Dutch East Indies, to the managers of the East India Company at the Amsterdam Chamber, it is stated that three black swans were brought alive to Batavia, but died soon after their arrival. Several boat expeditions were made, and Swan River was entered and ascended. During these expeditions the author of the journal mentions that the song of the Nactagil was heard. There are no nightingales in Australia, but the bird to which the writer of the journal alludes may have been the long-billed reed warbler, the Australian representative of the sedge warbler, and a denizen of the reed beds of the Swan River. Two species of geese are also mentioned by the same writer under the names of European geese. It is somewhat difficult to determine to which geese the author of the journal alludes under the names Kropkins and Rotgans. When English-speaking Dutch are asked to translate Kropkins, they do so by Christmas goose or fat goose. P27, dictionaries are silent respecting Kropkins, or render it by pelican. I am inclined to think that this rendering arises from a confusion between Kropkins and the German word Kropkins and that Kropkins was formerly applied to domestic geese in general which were being fed for the market, and also, as in the present instance, to the wild goose from which they were derived, namely to the grey lag goose. Ansiferis. If this be so, the Australian bird with which the Kropkins is compared in the journal may be the Cape Barren Goose, Syriopsis novi Hollandi, which is found sparingly in Western Australia. The Rod Gans is the Brent Goose, Branta bernicla and the Australian bird which most resembles it is the musk duck, Bizura lobata, which also is found in the west of Australia, although more sparingly there than in the south of the island continent. p. 27. Other birds which were seen at the same part of the Australian coast were dikers, by which name cormorants are probably designated, cockatoos and parakeets. It is said that all the birds were shy and flew away at the approach of human beings. No aborigines were seen, although smoke was visible. On the 15th of January de Vlaming quitted the anchorage near Rottenest Island and followed the coast until 30 degrees 17 s. Lat. Was reached. Two boats were there sent to the shore and soundings were taken. The country near the landing place was sandy and treeless, and neither human beings nor fresh water were to be seen. But footmarks resembling those of a dog were seen and also a bird which the journal calls a cassuaris, and which must have been one of the emus. On the 30th of January, 26 degrees 8 s, lat, was observed, which is, p28, approximately that of false entrance. On the 1st of February the pilot of the Geovink left the ships in one of the Geovink's boats in order to ascertain the position of Dirk Hartog's anchorage and the captains of two of the vessels made an excursion for a distance of six or seven miles inland. They returned to the ships on the following day, bringing with them the head of a large bird, and they imparted the information that they had seen two huge nests built of branches. p. 28. The pilot of the Geovink returned to the ship on the 3rd of February, and reported that he had passed through a channel, probably that which is now known as South Passage and had followed the coast of Dirk Hartog's island until he reached the northern extremity of the island. There, upon an acclivity, a tin plate was found on the ground. Certain words scratched upon the metal indicated that the ship Eendracht, of Amsterdam, of which Dirk Hartog was master, 
had anchored off the island on the 25th of October 1616, and had departed for Bantam on the 27th day of the same month. The pilot brought the metal plate, a flattened tin dish, with him, and also two turtles which had been caught on the island. The squadron anchored in Dirk Hartog's reed on the 4th of February, and remained there until the 12th day of that month. The anonymous author of the journal relates that on the 6th of February many turtles were seen, and also a very large nest at the corner of a rock. The nest resembled that of a stork, but was probably that of an osprey, which places its nest on a rock, often on a rock surrounded by water. De Vlaming quitted the Australian coast at 21 degrees south, lat, and proceeded to Batavia, where he arrived on the 20th of March, 1697. P. 29, New Zealand Birds in 1772. P. 29 in 1772. P. 31. Contents. P. 31. Contents. Nicholas Thomas Marion Dufresne was an officer in the French Navy, and was born at St. Malo in 1729. In 1771 he was commissioned at his own desire to restore to the island of his birth a Tahitian who had accompanied Bougainville to France. He was also charged to ascertain if a continent— or islands existed in the southern ocean whence useful products might be exported to Mauritius or Reunion. The middle of the 18th century is approximately the period in which the collection and classification of exotic plants and animals became one of the chief objects of exploratory voyages. This was also one of the aims of the expedition under the command of Marion and Commerson, a botanist who had accompanied de Bougainville, was to have accompanied Marion also. But he was unable to go, so that no botanist and also no zoologist made the voyage. Crozet, however, who was second in command of the Mascarin, has left not a few observations relating to the birds which he saw at sea during the voyage, or in the countries which he visited. They are embodied in his book Nouveau Voyage à la Mer du Sud. The native of Tahiti fell sick shortly after the commencement of the voyage, and was put ashore in Madagascar, where he died. One of the objects of the voyage thus ceased to exist. The first undiscovered land which was sighted after leaving Madagascar was named Terra d'Esperance, and subsequently, by Cook, Prince, P. 32, Edward Island. Near it a collision with the Mascarin caused the partial disablement of the Marquis de Castries. The search for a southern continent was therefore abandoned, and it was resolved to visit the countries which had been discovered by Tasman in the 17th century. P. 32. Crozet's first observation relating to seabirds was made on the 8th of January, 1772, about twelve days after leaving the Cape of Good Hope. Terns were then in view, and thereafter, until the 13th of that month, terns and gulls were frequently seen. Shortly after the latter date du Klesmer, who was in command of the Marquis de Castries, sighted another island which was named Alde de la Prize de Possession, and which has been renamed Marion Island. Crozet landed upon it, and relates that the seabirds which were nesting upon it continued to sit on their eggs or to feed their young regardless of his presence. There were amongst the birds penguins, cape petrels, damiers, and cormorants. Crozet also mentions divers, plongeons. It is doubtful to what birds he alludes under this name, a name which is usually applied to the Colymbidae, a family which has no representative in the seas of the southern hemisphere. The terns which Crozet saw were probably of the species Sterna vitata, which breeds on the islands of St. Paul and Amsterdam. 
It also frequents the Tristan de Cunha group, and Gough Island and Kerguelen Island, so that it enjoys a wide distribution in the Southern Ocean. The gulls may have been Dominican gulls, Larus Dominicanus, which are to be found at a considerable distance from any continental land. The penguins which frequent the seas adjacent to the islands which Marion named Al de la Caverne, Isles Freuds, and Alaride are Aptenidites patagonica, Pygacillus papua, Cataracts chrysocom, and Cataracts chrysolophus. The eggs of the last named penguin have, p. 33, been found on the Alaride, which is now known as Crozet Island, and the whole group as the Crozet Islands. The Cape Petrel, Dapsham capensis, nest on Tristan de Cunha and Kerguelen Island. A cormorant, Phallocrocorax variacosus, inhabits Kerguelen Island, but its occurrence on the Crozet Islands is doubtful. Finally, Crozet saw on the island on which he landed a white bird, which he mistook for a white pigeon, and argues that a country producing seeds for the nurture of pigeons must exist in the vicinity. This bird was probably the sheath bill, Cyanarchus crozetensis, of the Crozet Islands. p. 33. The next land visited was Tasmania, where the vessels cast anchor on the east side of the island. Like their Dutch predecessors, the French mariners bestowed the names of European birds upon the birds which they saw in these new lands, and it would be an idle task to seek the equivalents of the ouzels, thrushes, and turtle doves which Crozet saw in Tasmania. There can be no doubt, however, about his pelicans, for Pelicanus conspicillatus still nests on the east coast of the island or on islets adjacent to the coast. The duration of Crozet's sojourn in New Zealand was about four months in the autumn and winter of 1772. The vessels anchored in the Bay of Islands. Crozet has given a long enumeration of the birds which he saw in New Zealand. We will not seek to find what his wheatears and wagtails, starlings and larks, whistles and thrushes may have been, but we may make an exception in favor of his black thrushes with white tufts, grives and warsa hops blanches. These birds were evidently tays, prosta madura novizialandi. Crozet distributes the birds which he saw in New Zealand under foreheads, as birds of the forest, of the lakes, of the open country, and of the seacoast. In the forests were wood pigeons, p. 34, as large as fowls, and bright blue in color, no doubt the one pigeon of New Zealand, Hemifiga novizialandi, is alluded to in this description. Two parrots are mentioned, one of which was very large and black or dusky in color diversified with red and blue, and the other was a small lorry, which resembled the lorries in the island of Gola. It was no doubt a cyanoramphus, a genus of which there are in New Zealand more than one species. The large parrot may be the caca, although there is no blue in the plumage of the caca, Nestor meridionalis. There is blue under the wing of the kia, but the kia, Nestor notabilis, is not a bird of the north, but of the South Island. P. 34. In the open country were the passerine birds, which Crozet mentions by the names of European birds, and also a quail, Coternix novizialandi, which has lately become extinct. On the lakes were ducks and teals in abundance, and a pool bluey, similar to the pools blueys of Madagascar, India, and China. The pool bluey was doubtless the swamp hen or purple gallineal witch because of its rich purple plumage and red feet, is a conspicuous object in New Zealand landscapes. The species which inhabits New Zealand, Tasmania, and eastern Australia is Porphyrio melanotus. On the sea coast were cormorants, curlews, 
and black and white egrets. The curlews, which pass the summer in New Zealand and the remainder of the year in islands of the Pacific Ocean, are of the species Nemenius cyanopus. They leave New Zealand in autumn, with the exception of a few individuals which remain in favored localities. The egrets blanches eighteen wars were perhaps reef herons, the black bird of the form of an oyster catcher, and possessing a red bill and red feet, was doubtless the sooty oyster catcher, Hematopus unicolor, which, p. 35, in Tasmania is known as the red bill. Terns and gannets were amongst the birds of the coastal waters. Of New Zealand terns, Sterna frontalis and S. Nereus are the species which are seen most frequently. The goelette blanche may have been Gigas candida. The gannets may have been Manches de Valeur, the name by which French mariners knew the masked gannet, Sula cyanops. The body of this gannet is white. The wings are rich chocolate brown. It is a bird of the tropical and subtropical seas of the world, and its appearance in New Zealand waters is infrequent. p. 35. From New Zealand the two vessels, now under the command of Duclesmer, sailed for Guam and thence to the Philippine Islands, but as Crozet's observations on the birds which he saw after he quitted New Zealand are of little importance, we will follow him no further. London, printed by Strangeways and Sons, Tower Street Cambridge Circus, W.C. Strangeways and Sons. Essays on Early Ornithology and Kindred Subjects. By James Roxburgh McClemont. P. 3. Contents. Marco Polo, had he confined himself to a sober narration of his travels, would have left to posterity a valuable record of the political institutions and national customs of the peoples of his day in the Far East. He was not satisfied with doing this, but added to his narrative a number of andit more or less marvelous in character, which he collected from credulous or inventive persons with whom he came into contact, principally from mariners and from other travelers. Of these addenda to his story not one is more incredible than that of the rook, and yet that addendum may be regarded as indicating the transition from the utterly incredible to the admixture of truth with fiction in bird lore. For whilst the rook possessed some characteristics which are utterly fabulous, others are credible enough. We are told, for example, that it resembled an eagle, that it was carnivorous, that it possessed remarkable powers of flight, and that it visited islands which lay to the south of Zanzibar, within the influence of an ocean current which rendered difficult or impossible a voyage from these regions to India, and which therefore must have tended in a southerly direction. In this current we have no difficulty in recognizing that of Mozambique. On the other hand, that the rook had an expanse of wing of thirty paces, and that it could lift an elephant in its talons, are of course utterly incredible assertions. The rook therefore holds a position in bird lore intermediate, p4, between that of the phoenix and that of the pelican fed upon the blood of its mother whose beak is tipped with red, or that of the barnacle goose, of which the name suggests the mollusk, the barnacle and which was said to proceed from the mollusk or that of the bird of paradise, the feet of which were cut off by the Malay traders who sold the skins, and which were commonly reported never to have had feet, but to float, perpetually in the air. p. 4. Thus two streams united into one floated the conception of the rook, a mythological stream taking its rise from the simmered of the Persians and a stream of fact taking its rise in the observation of a real bird which visited certain islands off the southeast coast of Africa, and which is said to have resembled an eagle and may have been a sea eagle. 
with commendable reticence lexicographers tell us that rook was the name of a bird of mighty wing. P5. The penguins and the seals of the Ingrid de Sam Bras. P. 5. P7. Contents. P. 7. Contents. There exists an anonymous narrative of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama to India under the title Rotero de Viagem de Vasco da Gama and Mixkvai. Although it is called a Rotero, it is in fact a purely personal and popular account of the voyage, and does not contain either sailing directions or a systematic description of all the ports which were visited, as one might expect in a Rotero. There is no reason to believe that it was written by Vasco da Gama. An officer in such high authority would not be likely to write his narrative anonymously. The faulty and variable orthography of the Rotero also renders improbable the hypothesis that Vasco da Gama was the author. The journal of the first voyage of Columbus contains many allusions to the birds which were seen in the course of it by the great discoverer. In this respect the Rotero of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama resembles it. The Journal of Columbus is the earliest record of an important voyage of discovery which recognizes natural history as an aid to navigators. The Rotero is the next. The author of the Rotero notes that birds resembling large herons were seen in the month of August, 1497, at which time, I opine, the vessels of da Gama were not far from the Gulf of Guinea, or were, perhaps, making their way across that gulf. P8. On the 27th of October. As the vessels approached the southwest coast of Africa, whales and seals were encountered, and also quoques. P. 8. Quoques is the first example of the eccentric orthography of our author. Quoques is, no doubt, his manner of writing conscious, that is to say shells, the till over the o is absent, perhaps that is a typographical error, probably the author wrote or intended to write quoques. These shells may have been those of Navlai. On the 8th of November the vessels under the command of Vasco da Gama cast anchor in a wide bay which extended from east to west, and which was sheltered from all winds excepting that which blew from the northwest. It was subsequently estimated that this anchorage was sixty leagues distant from the Ingrid de Sam Bras, and as the Ingrid de Sam Bras was estimated to be sixty leagues distant from the Cape of Good Hope, the sheltered anchorage must have been in proximity to the Cape. The voyagers named it the Ingrid de Santa Elena and it may have been the bay which is now known as St. Helens Bay. But it is worthy of note that the G. de St. Helena of the Cantino chart is laid down in a position which corresponds rather with that of Table Bay than with that of St. Helens Bay. The Portuguese came into contact with the inhabitants of the country adjacent to the anchorage. These people had tawny complexions, and carried wooden spears tipped with horn, assegais of a kind, and bows and arrows. They also used foxes' tails attached to short wooden handles. We are not informed for what purposes the foxes' tails were used. Were they used to brush flies away, or were they insignia of authority? The food of the natives was the flesh of whales, seals, and p9, antelopes, gazellas, and the roots of certain plants. Crayfish or cape lobsters abounded near the anchorage. p. 9. The author of the Rotero affirms that the birds of the country resembled the birds in Portugal, and that amongst them were cormorants, larks, turtle doves, and gulls. The gulls are called guevotas, but guevotas is probably another instance of the eccentric orthography of the author and equivalent to guevotas. In December, the squadron reached the Ingrid de Sao Bras, 
which was either Mossel Bay or another bay in close proximity to Mossel Bay. Here penguins and seals were in great abundance. The author of the Rotero calls the penguins Sotilicaros, which is more correctly written Sotilicarios by subsequent writers. The word is probably related to the Spanish Sotil and the Latin Sotilis, and may contain an allusion to the supposed cunning of the penguins, which disappear by diving when an enemy approaches. The Sotilicarios, says the chronicler, could not fly because there were no crow feathers in their wings. In size they were as large as drakes, and their cry resembled the braying of an ass. Castanheda, Goes, and Osorio also mention the Sotilicario in their accounts of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, and compare its flipper to the wing of a bat, a not wholly inept comparison, for the undersurface of the wings of penguins is wholly devoid of feathery covering. Manuel de Mesquita Perestrello, who visited the south coast of Africa in 1575, also describes the Cape Penguin. From a manuscript of his Rotero in the Oporto Library, one learns that the flippers of the Sotilicario were covered with minute feathers, as indeed they are on the upper surface and that they dived after fish, upon which they fed, and on which they fed their young, which were hatched in nests p. 10, constructed of fish bones. There is nothing to cavil at in these statements, unless it be that which asserts that the nests were constructed of fish bones, for this is not in accordance with the observations of contemporary naturalists, who tell us that the nests of the Cape penguin, Sphiniscus demersus, are constructed of stones, shells, and debris. It is, therefore, probable that the fish bones which Perestrello saw were the remains of repasts of seals. p. 10. Seals, says the Rotero, were in great number at the Ingrid de Salbras. On one occasion the number was counted and was found to be three thousand. Some were as large as bears and their roaring was as the roaring of lions. Others, which were very small, bleated like kids. These differences in size and in voice may be explained by differences in the age and in the sex of the seals, for seals of different species do not usually resort to the same locality. The seal which formerly frequented the south coast of Africa, for it is, I believe, no longer a denizen of that region, was that which is known to naturalists as Arctocephalus delalandii, and, as adult males sometimes attain eight and a half feet in length, it may well be described as of the size of a bear. Cubs from six to eight months of age measure about two feet and a half in length. The Portuguese caught anchovies in the bay, which they salted to serve as provisions on the voyage. They anchored a second time in the Ingra de São Brás in March, 1499, on their homeward voyage. Yet one more allusion to the penguins and seals of the Ingra, p. 11, de São Brás is of sufficient historical interest to be mentioned. The first Dutch expedition to Bantam weighed anchor on the 2nd of April, 1595, and on the 4th of August of the same year the vessels anchored in a harbor called Agusambras, in eight or nine fathoms of water, on a sandy bottom. So many of the sailors were sick with scurvy, thirty or thirty-three, says the narrator, in one ship, that it was necessary to find fresh fruit for them. In this bay runs the English translation of the narrative, Leith a small island wherein are many birds called pinquins and sea wolves, that are taken with men's hands. In the original Dutch narrative by Willem Lodwickson, published in Amsterdam in 1597, the name of the birds appears as penguins. p. 11. p. 13. The Banda Islands and the Banden Birds. p. 13. Banden Birds. p. 15. Contents.
P. 15. Contents. The islands of the Banda Sea, with the exception of Leti, Kisser, and Wetter, constitute the Sarum subgroup or the Moluccan group. The principal units are Buru, Amboina, Great Banda, Sarum, Sarum Lot, Goram, Kur, Babar, and Dama. The Madbela Islands, the Tiandu Islands, the Ka Islands, and the Tenimber Islands also belong to the Sarum subgroup. We are only concerned with the Banda Islands, which are eight in number, and consist of four central islands in close proximity to one another, enclosing the little inland sea, and four outlying islets. The central islands are Lanthwire, or Great Banda, Banda Nera, Gonong Api, which is an active volcano, and Pisang. The remaining Banda Islands are Rosengane, which lies about ten miles distant to the southeast of Great Banda, Y, at an equal distance to the west. Run, about 8 miles west by south from Y, and Swanji or Monkan, about 17 miles north by east from Run. The Banda Islands are well known as the principal center of the cultivation of the nutmeg. When the Dutch East India Company became the possessors of the islands in the beginning of the 17th century, they destroyed the nutmeg trees in all the islands under their jurisdiction, with the exception of those in Amboina and the Banda Islands. By doing so they hoped to maintain the high value of these natural products. The Banda Islands may have been visited by Varthema, p. 16, but our first reliable account of them connects the discovery of them with an expedition dispatched by order of Alfonso de Albuquerque from Malacca. Shortly after Albuquerque had defeated the Malays and taken possession of that city, he sent three vessels, under the command of Antonio de Abreu, to explore the archipelago and to inaugurate a trade with the islanders. A junk, commanded by a native merchant captain, Ismail by name, preceded the other vessels for the purpose of announcing their approaching advent to the traders of the archipelago, so that they might have their spices ready for shipment. With the brew went Francisco Serio and Sameo Afonso, in command of two of the vessels. The pilots were Luis Badem, Goncalo de Oliveira, and Francisco Rodriguez or Ruiz. Abreu left Malacca in November, 1511 at which season the westerly monsoon begins to blow. He steered a southeasterly course, passed through the Strait of Sabong, and having arrived at the coast of Java, he cast anchor at Agakai, which Valentin identifies with Gresik, near Surabaya. At Agakai, Javan pilots were engaged for the voyage thence to the Banda Islands. Banda was, however, not the first port of call. The course was first to Buru, and thence to Amboina. Galvio relates that Abru landed at Guli Guli, which is in Sarum. Barros, however, in his account of the voyage, makes no mention of Sarum. At Amboina the ship commanded by Francisco Serio, an Indian vessel which had been captured at Goa, was burnt, for, says Barros, she was old, and the ship's company was divided between the two other ships, which then proceeded to Latado, which is perhaps identical with Ortatan, a trading station on the north coast of Great Banda. Here a brew obtained a cargo of nutmegs and mace and of cloves, which had been brought hither from the Moluccas. At Latato a brew erected a pillar in token of annexation to the, p. 17, dominions of the king of Portugal. He had done this at Agacay and in Amboina also. p. 16. p. 17. The return voyage to Malacca was marked by disaster. A junk, which now was bought to replace the Indian vessel, was wrecked, and the crew, who had taken refuge on a small island, was attacked by pirates. The pirates, however, 
were worsted and their craft was captured. Serial, who had been in command of the junk, sailed in the pirate vessel to Amboina, and thence eventually reached Ternate, where he remained at the invitation of Boliaif, the sultan of that island. The junk, of which Ismail was the skipper, was also wrecked near Tuban, but the cargo, consisting of cloves, was recovered in 1513 from the Javans, who had taken possession of it. Zoologically the Banda Islands lie within Wallace's Australian region, and their avifauna has a great affinity with that of Australia. Wallace visited these islands in December 1857, May 1859, and April 1861, and collected eight species of birds, namely, Ripidura squamata, a fantailed flycatcher, Pachycephala fianota, a thickhead, Mysomela boyer, a small scarlet-headed honeyeater, Zosterops chloris, a white-eye, Pitta vigorsi, one of the brightly colored ground thrushes of the Malayan region, Halcyon chloris, a kingfisher with a somewhat extensive range, Tilipus santhagaster, a fruit-eating pigeon, and the nutmeg, pigeon, Carpophaga concina. The islands were visited by the members of the Challenger Expedition in September and October, 1874, but the only additional species then obtained was Monarcha cinerascens, also a flycatcher. These birds may be regarded as the resident birds of the Banda Islands, but there are others which are occasional visitants or migrants. Indeed, in seas so full of islands, it is inevitable that wanderers from other islands should occasionally visit the group. P18 to those which I have already mentioned there may therefore be added, as of less frequency, the accipitrine bird, Asterpolionotus, the hoary-backed goshawk, the passers idolius medispar, a caterpillar shrike, the skin of a male of which from great banda is in the Leiden Museum, and Motacilla melanope, the grey wagtail. Of Picarian birds there have been found Cuculus intermedius, the oriental cuckoo, Eudonomys cyanocephalus subspecies Everetti, a small form of the coal and Eurystemus australis, the Australian roller. Joao de Barros, in his Asia, mentions the parrots of the Banda Islands, and we find accordingly that one of the cetaci is recorded from Banda in modern times, namely, Eos rubra, a red, or rather a crimson lorry. The ornithologist Muller saw many of these birds in Great Banda, on the cannery trees. Additional pigeons are the seed-eating Calcophaps chrysochlora and the fruit-eating Tylonopus wallacei. And finally there is one gallinaceous bird which is probably resident, but the shy and retiring habits of which have enabled it to escape observation until recently. This is a scrub fowl, Megapodius duperi. P. 18. P. 19. The etymology of the name emu. P. 19. P. 21. Contents. P. 21. Contents. The name emu has an interesting history. It occurs in the forms Emia and Eamon Purchase his pilgrimage, in 1613. In Banda and other islands, says Purchase, the bird called Emia or Eam is admirable. We should probably pronounce Eam in two syllables, as Emi. This Eam or Emia was doubtless a cassowary, probably that of Sarum. The idea that it was a native of the Banda group appears to have existed in some quarters at the beginning of the 17th century, but the idea was assuredly an erroneous one. So large a struthius bird as the cassowary requires more extensive feeding grounds and greater seclusion than was to be found in any island of the Banda group, and, as at the present day so in the past, Sarum was the true home of the Malayan cassowary, 
which found and which finds in the extensive forests of that island the home adapted to its requirements. It is, however, equally certain that at an early date the Sarum cassowary was imported into Amboina and probably into Banda also, and we know of an early instance of its being introduced into Java, and from Java into Europe. When the first Dutch expedition to Java had reached that island, and when the vessels of which it was composed were lying at anchor off Sindaya, some Javans brought a cassowary on board Schellinger's ship as a gift, saying that the bird was a rare one and that it swallowed fire. At least, so they were understood to say, but that they really did say so is somewhat doubtful. P-22, however, the sailors put the matter to the test by administering to the bird a dose of Hollands. Perhaps the Hollands was ignited and administered in the form of liquid fire, but it is not expressly stated that this was the case. This cassowary was brought alive to Amsterdam in 1597, and was presented to the estates of Holland at The Hague. A figure of it, under the name Eme, appears in the 4th and 5th German editions of the account of this voyage of the Dutch to Java, by Hulsius, published at Frankfurt in 1606 and 1625. The figure is a fairly accurate representation of an immature cassowary. p. 22. Whence comes, let us ask, the name meme and the later form, emu. The new historical English dictionary suggests a derivation from a Portuguese word, emma, signifying a crane. But no authority is quoted to prove that emma signifies, or ever signified crane. On the other hand, various Portuguese dictionaries which have been consulted render emma by cas or, or state that the name emma is applicable to several birds, of which the crane is not one. Pero de Magalhães de Gandavo in his Historia de Provincia Sancta Cruz, published in 1576, uses the name Hema in writing of the Ria or Nandu. It is worthy of note that the Arabic name of the cassowary is Nima, and that there were many Arab traders in the Malayan archipelago at the time when the Portuguese first navigated it. The Portuguese strangely distorted Malay and Arabic names, and it would not be surprising if they reproduced Nima as Uma Emma. P23 Australian birds in 1697. P. 23. In 1697. P. 25. Contents. P. 25. Contents. In 1696 the honorable directors of the Dutch chartered company trading to the Dutch East Indies decided to send an expedition for the purpose of searching for missing vessels, especially for the Rittershap Van Holland, of which no news had been received for two years. The local board of directors of the Amsterdam Chamber of the Company was charged to carry out this resolution, and it equipped three vessels which were placed under the command of Willem de Vlaeming. The commander was directed to search for missing vessels or for shipwreck sailors at the Tristan de Cunha Islands, the Cape of Good Hope, and the islands of Amsterdam and St. Paul in the Southern Ocean. Thence he was to proceed to the Ambaken Zudland, by which name, or by that of Eendracht's Land, Australia was designated in whole or in part in the official dispatches of the Dutch East India Company in the 17th century. On the 29th of December, 1696, the vessels under the command of de Vlaeming lay at anchor between Rottnest Island and the mainland of Australia. The island was searched for wreckage with little result. One piece of timber was found which, it was conjectured, might have been deck timber, and a plank was found, three feet long and one span broad. The nails in the wreckage were very rusty. The search for shipwreck sailors on the adjacent mainland was unsuccessful. 
on the 20th and on the 31st of December, and on the 1st of January, 1697, p. 26, de Vlaming notes in his journal that odoriferous wood was found on the mainland. Portions of it were subsequently submitted to the Council of the Dutch East Indies at Batavia, and from these portions an essential oil was obtained by distillation. It may well be supposed that this experiment was the first in the manufacture of eucalyptus oil, which, however, in our day is obtained not from the wood but from the leaves of the tree. On the 13th of January de Vlaming records that a dark resinous gum resembling lac was seen exuding from trees. p. 26. In a narrative of the voyage published under the title journal Wegens in Voyage na het Abiken Zudland, we read that on the 11th of January nine or ten black swans were seen. In a letter from Willem van Oudhorn, Governor-General of the Dutch East Indies, to the managers of the East India Company at the Amsterdam Chamber, it is stated that three black swans were brought alive to Batavia, but died soon after their arrival. Several boat expeditions were made, and Swan River was entered and ascended. During these expeditions the author of the journal mentions that the song of the Nactagil was heard. There are no nightingales in Australia, but the bird to which the writer of the journal alludes may have been the long-billed reed warbler, the Australian representative of the sedge warbler, and a denizen of the reed beds of the Swan River. Two species of geese are also mentioned by the same writer under the names of European geese. It is somewhat difficult to determine to which geese the author of the journal alludes under the names Kropkins and Rotgans. When English-speaking Dutch are asked to translate Kropkins, they do so by Christmas goose or fat goose. P27, dictionaries are silent respecting Kropkins, or render it by pelican. I am inclined to think that this rendering arises from a confusion between Kropkins and the German word Kropkins and that Kropkins was formerly applied to domestic geese in general which were being fed for the market, and also, as in the present instance, to the wild goose from which they were derived, namely to the grey lag goose. Ansiferis. If this be so, the Australian bird with which the Kropkins is compared in the journal may be the Cape Barren Goose, Cereopsis novi Hollandi, which is found sparingly in Western Australia. The rod gans is the Brent Goose, Branta bernicla and the Australian bird which most resembles it is the musk duck, Bizura lobata, which also is found in the west of Australia, although more sparingly there than in the south of the island continent. p. 27. Other birds which were seen at the same part of the Australian coast were dikers, by which name cormorants are probably designated, cockatoos and parakeets. It is said that all the birds were shy and flew away at the approach of human beings. No aborigines were seen, although smoke was visible. On the 15th of January de Vlaming quitted the anchorage near Rottenest Island and followed the coast until 30 degrees 17 s. Lat. Was reached. Two boats were there sent to the shore and soundings were taken. The country near the landing place was sandy and treeless, and neither human beings nor fresh water were to be seen. But footmarks resembling those of a dog were seen and also a bird which the journal calls a cassuaris, and which must have been one of the emus. On the 30th of January, 26 degrees 8 s, lat, was observed, which is, p28, approximately that of false entrance. On the 1st of February the pilot of the Geovink left the ships in one of the Geovink's boats in order to ascertain the position of Dirk Hartog's anchorage and the captains of two of the vessels made an excursion for a distance of six or seven miles inland.
They returned to the ships on the following day, bringing with them the head of a large bird, and they imparted the information that they had seen two huge nests built of branches. P. 28. The pilot of the Geovink returned to the ship on the 3rd of February, and reported that he had passed through a channel, probably that which is now known as South Passage, and had followed the coast of Dirk Hartog's island until he reached the northern extremity of the island. There, upon an acclivity, a tin plate was found on the ground. Certain words scratched upon the metal indicated that the ship Eendracht, of Amsterdam, of which Dirk Hartog was master, had anchored off the island on the 25th of October, 1616, and had departed for Bantam on the 27th day of the same month. The pilot brought the metal plate, a flattened tin dish, with him, and also two turtles which had been caught on the island. The squadron anchored in Dirk Hartog's reed on the 4th of February, and remained there until the 12th day of that month. The anonymous author of the journal relates that on the 6th of February many turtles were seen, and also a very large nest at the corner of a rock. The nest resembled that of a stork, but was probably that of an osprey, which places its nest on a rock, often on a rock surrounded by water. De Vlaeming quitted the Australian coast at 21 degrees south, lat, and proceeded to Batavia, where he arrived on the 20th of March, 1697. P. 29, New Zealand Birds in 1772. P. 29. In 1772. P. 31. Contents. P. 31. Contents. Nicholas Thomas Marion Dufresne was an officer in the French Navy, and was born at St. Malo in 1729. In 1771 he was commissioned at his own desire to restore to the island of his birth a Tahitian who had accompanied Bougainville to France. He was also charged to ascertain if a continent, or islands existed in the southern ocean whence useful products might be exported to Mauritius or Reunion. The middle of the 18th century is approximately the period in which the collection and classification of exotic plants and animals became one of the chief objects of exploratory voyages. This was also one of the aims of the expedition under the command of Marion and Commerson, a botanist who had accompanied de Bougainville, was to have accompanied Marion also. But he was unable to go, so that no botanist and also no zoologist made the voyage. Crozet, however, who was second in command of the Mascarin, has left not a few observations relating to the birds which he saw at sea during the voyage, or in the countries which he visited. They are embodied in his book Nouveau Voyage à la Mer du Sud. The native of Tahiti fell sick shortly after the commencement of the voyage, and was put ashore in Madagascar, where he died. One of the objects of the voyage thus ceased to exist. The first undiscovered land which was sighted after leaving Madagascar was named Terra d'Esperance, and subsequently, by Cook, Prince, P. 32, Edward Island. Near it a collision with the Mascarin caused the partial disablement of the Marquis de Castries. The search for a southern continent was therefore abandoned, and it was resolved to visit the countries which had been discovered by Tasman in the 17th century. P. 32. Crozet's first observation relating to seabirds was made on the 8th of January, 1772, about twelve days after leaving the Cape of Good Hope. Turns were then in view, and thereafter— until the 13th of that month, terns and gulls were frequently seen. Shortly after the latter date Du Klesmer, who was in command of the Marquis de Castries, 
sighted another island which was named Alda La Prize de Possession, and which has been renamed Marion Island. Crozet landed upon it, and relates that the seabirds which were nesting upon it continued to sit on their eggs or to feed their young regardless of his presence. There were amongst the birds penguins, cape petrels, damiers, and cormorants. Crozet also mentions divers, plungeons. It is doubtful to what birds he alludes under this name, a name which is usually applied to the Calimbidae, a family which has no representative in the seas of the southern hemisphere. The terns which Crozet saw were probably of the species Sternovitata, which breeds on the islands of St. Paul and Amsterdam. It also frequents the Tristan de Cunha group, and Gough Island and Kerguelen Island, so that it enjoys a wide distribution in the southern ocean. The gulls may have been Dominican gulls, Larus Dominicanus, which are to be found at a considerable distance from any continental land. The penguins which frequent the seas adjacent to the islands which Marion named Al de la Caverne, Isles Freuds, and Isle Ride are Aptenidites patagonica, Pygacilis papua, Cataracts chrysocom, and Cataracts chrysolophus. The eggs of the last-named penguin have, p. 33, been found on the Isle Ride, which is now known as Crozet Island, and the whole group as the Crozet Islands. The Cape Petrel, Dapsham capensis, nests on Tristan de Cunha and Kerguelen Island. A cormorant, Phallocrocorax variacosus, inhabits Kerguelen Island, but its occurrence on the Crozet Islands is doubtful. Finally, Crozet saw on the island on which he landed a white bird, which he mistook for a white pigeon, and argues that a country producing seeds for the nurture of pigeons must exist in the vicinity. This bird was probably the sheath bill, Cyanarchus crozetensis, of the Crozet Islands. P. 33. The next land visited was Tasmania, where the vessels cast anchor on the east side of the island. Like their Dutch predecessors, the French mariners bestowed the names of European birds upon the birds which they saw in these new lands, and it would be an idle task to seek the equivalents of the ouzels, thrushes, and turtle doves which Crozet saw in Tasmania. There can be no doubt, however, about his pelicans, for Pelicanus conspicillatus still nests on the east coast of the island or on islets adjacent to the coast. The duration of Crozet's sojourn in New Zealand was about four months in the autumn and winter of 1772. The vessels anchored in the Bay of Islands. Crozet has given a long enumeration of the birds which he saw in New Zealand. We will not seek to find what his wheatears and wagtails, starlings and larks, Buzzles and thrushes may have been, but we may make an exception in favor of his black thrushes with white tufts, grives noirsa hops blanches. These birds were evidently tays, prosta madura novizialandi. Crozet distributes the birds which he saw in New Zealand under foreheads, as birds of the forest, of the lakes, of the open country, and of the seacoast. In the forests were wood pigeons, p. 34, as large as fowls, and bright blue in color, no doubt the one pigeon of New Zealand, Hemifiga novizialandi, is alluded to in this description. Two parrots are mentioned, one of which was very large and black or dusky in color diversified with red and blue, and the other was a small lorry, which resembled the lorries in the island of Gola. It was no doubt a cyanoramphus, a genus of which there are in New Zealand more than one species. The large parrot may be the caca, although there is no blue in the plumage of the caca. Nestor meridionalis. There is blue under the wing of the kia, but the kia, Nestor notabilis, is not a bird of the north, but of the south island. P. 
p. 34. In the open country were the passerine birds, which Crozet mentions by the names of European birds, and also a quail, Coturnix noviziolandi, which has lately become extinct. On the lakes were ducks and teals in abundance, and a pool bluey, similar to the pools blueys of Madagascar, India, and China. The pool bluey was doubtless the swamp hen or purple gallineal which, because of its rich purple plumage and red feet, is a conspicuous object in New Zealand landscapes. The species which inhabits New Zealand, Tasmania, and eastern Australia is Porphyrio melanotus. On the sea coast were cormorants, curlews, and black and white egrets. The curlews, which pass the summer in New Zealand and the remainder of the year in islands of the Pacific Ocean, are of the species Nemenius cyanopus. They leave New Zealand in autumn, with the exception of a few individuals which remain in favored localities. The egrets blanches etinoirs were perhaps reef herons, the black bird of the form of an oyster catcher, and possessing a red bill and red feet, was doubtless the sooty oyster catcher, Hematopus unicolor, which, p. 35, in Tasmania is known as the red bill. Terns and gannets were amongst the birds of the coastal waters. Of New Zealand terns, Sterna frontalis and S. Nereus are the species which are seen most frequently. The goelette blanche may have been Gigas candida. The gannets may have been Manches de Valeur, the name by which French mariners knew the masked gannet, Sula cyanops. The body of this gannet is white. The wings are rich chocolate brown. It is a bird of the tropical and subtropical seas of the world, and its appearance in New Zealand waters is infrequent. p. 35. From New Zealand the two vessels, now under the command of Duclesmer, sailed for Guam and thence to the Philippine Islands, but as Crozet's observations on the birds which he saw after he quitted New Zealand are of little importance, we will follow him no further. London Printed by Strangeways and Sons, Tower Street, Cambridge Circus, W.C. Strangeways and Sons.